doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. And I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is Uncomfortable. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've got an uncomfortable experience you'd like to have featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at uncomfortablepodcast65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Those are the main ways you can help in getting the show out in front of other people. The more people listening means more great guests coming forward with their experiences to share with you, the listener. Tonight's guest is a listener favorite that I wanted to do another episode with. It was going to be a while off yet, but uh, she contacted me very recently, and uh, it just seemed to make sense to, to go ahead and jump ahead with this episode uh, so she could get a message out to each of you, and we could cover a plethora of additional information for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to the Archbishop, Christina Rake. Christina, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Eric, for having me. It's wonderful to be back. Oh, it's, uh, like I said earlier, I've just, I've been chomping at the bit to get you back on, uh, but I didn't want to overload people with too much at one time, so... It's been a decent amount of time since our last episode, and I think everybody has had uh, time to digest what we talked about previously. And I have to be honest, I have had a number, uh, a large number of people who have contacted me, all all of them saying, please, please, please have her back on. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful episode and uh, was really well received by, by my audience, so... 
I'm thrilled to have you back. Thank you. It's so kind. I got I got some messages too, and I had to laugh because I, I I'm nothing if not overwhelming. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it really was a blast to be on, and it was wonderful to see um, the positive reactions people had to it. So I I'm just absolutely thrilled to come back. Well, once again, I have to thank our our common friend um, Jay. Uh, he was he was a uh, integral in getting me in touch with you so um, yes thank you to him so uh you reached out to me a couple of days ago and um you asked me if it was possible to post a an important message to the listeners i did and uh that was kind of congruent with the idea of getting you back on the show uh, almost immediately um so that you could bring up and we could touch on that right off the bat and uh, try to get you some help with your orphanage and the work you're doing there. So why don't before we get into any of the weird stuff, why don't you go ahead and uh, get into that? Oh, thank you. Um, folks, I know I have lots of uh, weird information, and uh, I do a lot of uh, fringe science and things, um, but I am first and foremost uh, a priest and a servant and my church um, is fully inclusive and, and fights for the rights of the gay community. We also in Kenya have an orphanage with uh, 15 children who were taken in by a wonderful priest and his wife. And these 15 children were rescued, uh, some from the sex trafficking uh, rings, some from the jungle, uh, some were born HIV positive. In almost all the cases, uh, parents were either killed or died of disease. Um, and so uh, America doesn't have orphanages anymore, but in Africa, uh, orf- it is an orphan crisis, especially because of the AIDS epidemic. And so um, it costs $1 a day to feed these 15 kids three meals. Um, unfortunately, uh, right now I've had problems fundraising and, uh, I was covering their cost over the summer to the tune of $2,500 out of my own pocket. Uh, but right now they're eating once a day and, uh, I reached out to Eric and said, you know, there's, there's lots of different things people can do in addition to direct donations, which you can make on our church page, AmericanOldCatholic.org, um, you can also, I will also, and I haven't done this in years, um, do spiritual counseling using my gifts, readings. Um, and if you want to contact me for one of those, it's uh, bishoprake at gmail.com. And uh, we also have a store now for people who do investigations. You want exorcist crosses and medals and bless things from me and exorcism salt. I sell all that at uh, oldcatholicstore.com. So if you can patronize any of those and help us out, I appreciate it. Uh, We also have an underground. uh, um, Being gay and trans is a death sentence in a third of the countries in Africa, and illegal in another uh, third. So uh, we have a group of underground people who are attempting to organize. 
and uh, sort of lobby the government to make being who they are uh, not a crime. And so we're supporting them as well. So any way that you can help, um, you know, it, it, you can change the world. Uh, those 15 kids will grow up knowing that people out there, they've never met care for them. And uh, those people fighting for the right to be who they were born to be uh, will know that there are others in the world who want that change for them. So I appreciate if anybody would go to the store and purchase something, 100% of what you buy goes there. 100% of my readings go there. And um, I know people are worried about uh, being burned and stuff. I'm happy to show folks receipts. I promise you um, all that money goes right into tummies and, and right into um, legal assistance. And uh, it's, uh, it's hard to know that there are people suffering and you're responsible for them. So I reached out to Eric and said, could you please just make an announcement that I'll do readings for people. I can only do 10 a month. So contact me ASAP and you make the donation right to the church. It doesn't go to me. And um, he did that. He sent out a blast and thank you. I already had someone reach out and say, I don't want a reading. I just want to help. Um, so if you would like to talk to me and if you didn't listen to the other podcast, I think Eric could confirm I hit a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and I've been heavily tested. Definitely can. Tested. Definitely can. <laughs> um, so uh, if you can help and you can do anything at all, and it doesn't matter if you can feed, even if you commit to one kid um, a month, you know, uh, whatever you can do. Every little bit counts and every little bit goes there. So thank you very much. And then I said, Eric, thank you for doing that. By the way, I would love to come back on. <laughs> and he said, tomorrow. Yep, let's <laughs> so do it. Well, you know, here, it, it, so. yeah. And I mean, you know, the whole point of it was, you know, you know, your organization, you're, you're having problems. Um, the best thing we can do is get the news out to people as quickly as possible. Um, people have been wanting to hear from you again since our first episode. So it only made sense to, to, to do this and anything we can. And do I that. so appreciate it. And I think your listeners need to know that I reached out to several folks in podcasts that I've done some of them six or seven times mm -hmm. in the past couple of years. And uh, Eric was the only one who got back to me. Oh <laughs> so no. Thank Are you. you kidding me? Well, you know, it, it, people were busy. It was the holidays. Um, but I just want everyone to know that um, Eric's the real deal. He really puts his heart where his mouth is. So uh -huh. thank you. Thank you. Um, it only makes sense. You know, I mean, this is this is uh, uh, the holiday season. People are, you know, are generous. It's it's all about making sure that everybody uh, is is cared for and helped and, and, and gets the things that they need. And, you know, what better time of year to, uh, you know, do something nice and, and help somebody yeah. out that, uh, you know, obviously will never know your name, never know where you were from or anything. It's just, it's just being a good person. And if you have the, the ability to help, then help. I'm not asking anybody that yeah. doesn't have a two nickels in their pocket to give those two nickels up. That's not what we're asking for. But oh, if you, no. do, if you no. do have the ability to help, 
then uh, please reach out to, to Christina and, and help make these kids' life a little bit better. And uh, on our website, AmericanOldCatholic.org, um, if you look at the orphanage, we have photos of the orphans, their names, their backstories, um, and every gift is 100% tax deductible. So you will get a letter from me, and you can use it um, when you do your taxes. So, you know, you always get something back, and I can at least offer you that for your generosity. So thank you. Well, there you go. There you go. Help out people in need. That's that's what good people do. So Yes, thank you. All right. Well, as I indicated in a message to you yesterday, I believe, um, we com- we covered a, a number of things in that first episode that we did. And I asked you what you had up your sleeve that uh, was uh, things that we, we did not get too far into or, or didn't even touch on. And you in no time flat uh, sent me a, a very large uh, message of, of things that we could get into. So let's do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I spend a lot of time with my nose and weird stuff. So <laughs> I, think, I think my response to that message was, yep, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll cover everything that uh, you want to cover, and then I promise you there's probably still another 15 episodes in me. So <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> that should take me right to about retirement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's start off with here, – here's a – the Bible. Yes. So, you know, I know people that believe the Bible 100% every word um, is the word of God. And then I've had conversations with other people that believe the Bible is just a, um, some of it's the word of God, but other parts of it are, stories of basically like morality and how you should be and examples of what we should be doing. Um, what are we, what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong when it comes to the, the Bible itself? Well, I, the, the biggest misconception people have and not to point fingers, but it's really prevalent in um, sort of evangelical Bible churches is that the Bible was written in 2005 by some guy named Dave, an accountant in Indiana, and that you could just pick it up and read it and understand it. And that is absolutely (laughs) not the case. (laughs) Dave. I mean, yeah, yeah. And Luther said, you know, any milkmaid can interpret the Bible. And, And even when he said that in 1534, it wasn't true anymore. Um, it is written in four dead languages that are not spoken anymore by two cultures that don't exist anymore, and a third that has transformed and grown as a religion, which of course religions do in self-interpretation in the past 2,000 years. It references 
um, it, it was written by one Mediterranean, um, I'm sorry, not Mediterranean, Middle Eastern culture in which context was more important than the actual words spoken. Um, the references are to husbandry, sheep herding, vineyard dressing, uh, agriculture, you know, things that we do every day, you and I. Um, and so when you're reading it without the knowledge that you need to read it, um, you're missing so much and you're misinterpreting it. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kruger-Dunning effect, and um, it's brilliant. It's the effect that says, in conclusion, um, ignorant people overestimate what they know, and informed people um, know what they don't know, and so they're filled with doubt. But essentially it says that in order for you to know what you don't know, you already have to be an expert. So, which makes sense in any (laughs) given field. I've been studying scripture um, intensely at an academic level down to the languages and the culture and everything for 26 years. I know what I don't know. And I still come across things that I have never heard of. And if that's happening to me, who can look at a Greek word and and know all the references and everything that's been written about it, um, then, you know, Pastor Bob, who doesn't have a bachelor's degree, is probably getting some stuff wrong, too. (laughs) Because chances are, chances are, and I've brought this up in in a number of episodes, and I still stand by this, because Bob was probably taught by Jim who was taught by <laughs> Peter, who was taught yes. by Bill. And yes. whenever you introduce man as a as a being, not necessarily man as in the the male gender, um, you you introduce the possibility of a a chance to change things to fit your agenda Mm -hmm. and that's not that's not good that no it's not good at all um and that's a that's an argument a a pleasant argument that i've had with um a, a very christian gentleman that i know well um it's like you know you you take everything that you know because it's been what was told to you by another man who was taught by another man who was taught by another man about a text that was very difficult to understand in it's an original form. And there's a number right. of interpretations of it. And who's to say that the interpretations that you've been led to believe are true are in fact true. Right. Exactly. And, you know, confirmation bias is actually built into our brain structure Um, The information that comes in from the senses and travels to the region of the brain that processes sensory input and then the construction or matrix of the world we see, which looks nothing like what we see. It's just a bunch of photons and, and sound waves and the brain puts it together into something understandable. That then moves forward to the prefrontal cortex process but the information that goes back 
is one third of what comes forward, meaning that the brain constructs what it expects to see and sends it to us for thought and processing. That's why you didn't see that red car that was coming through the light. Well, you actually didn't see it because it came from the back of your brain. You had a green light. You weren't looking for a car running the red. You literally did not see it. And so that confirmation bias is, is hardwired into us. And we have to fight a lot of our hardwiring to A, be a good person, and to B, question our own assumptions. And that's not easy, but it can be done by being aware of the fact that we do that and then stopping our response, our reactionary customs and saying, wait, wait, someone disagrees with me and they disagree with me vehemently. And the arguments they're using, I've never heard of. Let me go look into those. Um, and I can tell you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 48, which feels old to me, but is younger to others. <laughs> it's the oldest it, I've ever you're, been you're and the youngest <laughs> I'll ever be again. You're younger um, than me. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, in, in, in 48 years, I have changed my mind about things so many times when I've been confronted by information that completely blew my previous assumptions out of the water. And my brain was always about finding the truth. What's true, not what's fact. And with religion, there's a big difference between what's factual and what's truth. Like the Bible, it says this, that's a fact. It's a fact that the world is 6,000 years old. Or is there a truth to the fact that the development of the world was a progression with the aim of a human consciousness in mind. You know, both of those, you know, one's looking at it as a at Genesis story as a fact, the other's looking at it as a truth and gleaning a, a spiritual reality from words that if you took literally would tell you that the earth is 6,000 years old and Satan created dinosaur bones to fool us all, which is an actual theory in many <laughs> Bible churches. So, I mean, yeah, it, I you have to question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not laughing at their beliefs, and I'm not laughing at their faith. Um, you have to understand there's two parts to spiritual growth. There's conversion. And in Christianity, conversion is a continuous thing. It's not a one-time event like people say, I was saved in 1966 when I said the sinner's prayer. No, it's a process. But um, you convert because you find yourself in a vulnerable enough spot to say, I need something greater than myself. And I need to rest in a truth greater than myself to pull myself out of myself. And that realization can happen in a Bible church, an evangelical church, a Catholic church, nature, when you see Bigfoot, when you see UFO, whatever happens that is a conversion experience that completely transforms your worldview, your paradigm. What happens after that is called formation. Formation is when you learn about what just happened to you. And unfortunately, people tend to think the conversion experience was all about where they were 
And what did it, rather than the fact that it was where they were in themselves. And so people can have genuine Christian experience. They can encounter Christ. They can feel God. They can feel different. It changes them physiologically. But then they get bad information about who they just met. And I I always try to separate those because when you're talking about faith and you tell someone they're wrong, you know, they go to that experience and say, no, I know I'm right. I was there. When you tell them that experience was true, but what you were told about it is inaccurate, then you can have a discussion with them because then they don't feel attacked. Interesting. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's true of people who have very firm beliefs that we don't agree with. You can tell them, I know you feel different because that's happened to you. But let's talk about what you've learned about what happened to you. That's where I think things might have gone astray. And then the the conversation becomes about information rather than interpretation, rather than about the experience. And uh, the the discussion is much more civil (laughs) from that (laughs) point of view. Wow. That uh, you're, you mentioned, you know, like whether you saw a Bigfoot or you saw a UFO or or that, Mm -hmm. that all being part of the conversion. And that, that kind of answers a question that I wasn't going to ask, but a, a kind of answers a personal question that I've had that, you know, I've, everyone that listens to this is aware that I've had a number of things happen in my life that are odd and, and the reason why I like talking about this stuff and, and decided to do this show. Um, and before we started recording, I specifically said to you that I've had a number of people who um, have exhibited gifts much like yours um, and have proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are legitimate with their gifts because of some of the things that they've brought up. Um, and I feel like I'm going through a process. They've, they've told me that I'm going through an awakening and, mm-hmm. and I have to say that it, and I said this to you before we started recording, it's not something that I'm actively seeking. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not against it. But it's not, you know, I don't spend my day thinking about, you know, how am I going to ascend to a, a higher plane where I can, you know, how do, how do I open my mind more to this stuff? But I have to say, since beginning this show, um, I've, I've stopped calling them coincidences and I've started using the word all too often, which is, it's, I wish there was another word to use, but synchronicities. Um, mm-hmm throughout my life, throughout multiple episodes that I've done, uh, throughout multiple guests who have no idea who they are to each other. Um, it, so many things have, have culminated in what I can only say is, is, a an awakening. Uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds cliche to say, but I am experiencing things on a pretty regular basis that seem 
odd. There are things that I don't think I'd normally have been aware of. And I don't, I don't even begin to know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have two theories for it. There's the hardware theory and the software theory. Um, okay. Human now, beings before, are, are hardware. Before, before you say that, the, just the sole fact that you used those two words. I was explaining to you prior to going on and listeners will realize what I'm talking about. My trip down to um, Tennessee early, right. early October. Um, one of, one of the people that I hold in, in very high regard, uh, out on the, on the West coast, she suggested that the, the time difference, the, the discrepancy in time that it took me to, to make that trip, there was a process of upload. I was going through a process of upload and Mm-hmm. Till this day, I still don't know what the hell that means. I, I mean, I understand what the word means, but um, in in how it af- applies to me, I don't understand. Um, but now you using the words hardware and software, another synchronicity. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. And I always explain this religion in terms of hardware and software because we're we're material. And we're spiritual, if you want to call it matter and energy or um, matter and energy or or matter and spirit, whatever. But um, we have a processor, which is the brain. And then we have software, which is consciousness or soul or mind, uh, whatever term you want to use for it. I call it the soul. The, The hardware explanation of that awakening process is you know like that conversion experience you can also call it the epiphany that aha moment where something strange happens that does not jive with any other experience you've had in your life and remember i just i just mentioned how the brain creates the world for us in a way that makes sense like if you watch yourself clap your hands once all right sound reaches your brain in this process faster than sight and faster than touch. So you would hear the clap, then feel the clap, then see the clap. But your brain fools you into thinking all that happens at once. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's what I mean where the brain makes meaning. Um, The world looks like photons of light traveling at different speeds for colors and, and, you know, sound waves. It's a dark silent place without your brain. So you have this amazing sponge that weighs three pounds in your head that never sees the light of day or feels the air outside of your skull that is creating this whole world for you. And the information that you get from the outside world goes to the back of the brain for processing and then goes to the frontal cortex for sort of the administrative tasks of now what? you know, response. Well, when you have an event, like you you see a UFO, does not jive with anything else you've seen. You identify what it is. This is not something I've seen before. That information goes back to the brain, which 
create the world. So every time an experience happens, your brain goes, all right, that's now incorporated into what I'm doing back here. And you're now expecting to see that again. And then something else happens and you're expecting more. It opens, it it basically rips open your consciousness to a whole nother world for every experience you have. And it also changes us physiologically. Like I was a part of Project Psy. 300 psychic mediums tested. One area of their brain lit up. And in 10 minutes of doing a reading, they have blood sugar drops of up to 30 points. Excuse me, really quick. Project Psy, are you aware of Sherilyn Carter? Yeah, she was part of it. I know her. We worked together on it. I was the first medium they tested. That's incredible. Yeah, I've had her on the show a couple of times. Cheryl's great. And and they since, um, we've done another experiment Dr. Kennedy and I, and what I did was pray two minutes. By the end of six minutes total, there were three different prayers, two minutes long. My blood sugar had dropped 25 points. So your brain is, is actually changing your entire physiology when it's experiencing the numinous. So, so there's the hardware response. And when I talk about the numinous, the software response Every encounter with something that is other, alien to our material existence, changes us. I mean, they, they, they've done experiments that prove that, um, here I'll use an example because my school was part of this, the O'Leary experiments in Boston, where they took 11 seminarians and gave them acid on Easter Sunday and then just recorded what happened. Just that experience changes the entire way they think on an internal level. And those seminarians were from Andover Newton, which is where I have my master's from. I met some of the professors who were part of that. So, you know, I use ACID, which is also hardware and software, but there are other things. Um, A deep experience of God, Uh, Wordsworth, the poet Williams Wordsworth, called them in the 19th century moments in time where all of a sudden all of time is now and forever everything is different after those experiences not only is your brain different but your entire um, spiritual existence is different because instead of living in complete doubt you're living in more certainty and more and more certainty breeds more certainty. So, and I don't mean you understand. I just mean your experience trumps your belief. Okay. So in a nutshell, are you saying that, you know, if you see a Bigfoot or if you see a UFO or you experience a, uh, a spiritual event or you experience a um, <clears throat> uh, coming together with God or, or whatever, um, that, that you are more open to it now because now you have a source of context? Yes. You have both a source of context for your brain. Your brain is now saying that's out there and now I'm going to look for it. 
So that confirmation bias that I mentioned earlier, it can be positive as well as negative. It's not that what you're experiencing isn't real. It's that your brain has now incorporated this experience and said, okay, this is real. So now we're going to look for it. And then you have that soul process, that ripping open of that soul, which you might be suppressing. And in that suppression, you've kept that soul from contact with its source, with with that other side. And I'm talking more about religion here, but there's also the the soul's paradigm shift of I am not alone in this universe. This what I see, hear, touch, taste, smell isn't all there is. I'm part of something even bigger than I ever realized. And that event completely changes us both in the brain and in consciousness. Now, at the beginning of this segment that you started talking about, you said something about uh, the soul and the brain um, or the soul and consciousness. You know, in the consciousness, we obviously, we uh, we, uh, assign that to our brain. Are they one and the same? Um. Does, the, I believe they does are. the soul reside in the brain? I think that it's the software that runs on the hardware. When the hardware of your computer crashes, you may not be able to boot that computer up again, but the backup of the software is certainly transferable. That's why I refer to it that way. You know, you're, you're, you have ego, which is bad. It's, it's associated um, with the illusions of this world. And uh, several Christian writers, Catholic writers over the years have said that when we go to heaven, we'll be surprised at how little of us there is there, that it's consciousness that survives without all the ego that's part of the the bad things that our brain does, lying to ourselves, confirming lies because we want to be right. All those things are gone now. And we only have the software. Included in that are things like mental illness, which are always hardware-based. Dementia, which is hardware-based. When the software gets liberated from a hardware that's messed up and need a medication or medication is the only thing keeping it functioning and they're able to leave, they're now their their true selves. So, yes, I use soul and consciousness interchangeably. And by both of those, what I mean is the part of us that survives physical death, the part of us that's really real and leaves the grave as opposed to the part of us that gets buried in it. Hmm. You, you touch on, on dementia and, you know, I just, my, my mom just passed, um, on the 4th of, of November and oh, I'm sorry. she had, uh, she had dementia, um, for about the last, seven, seven years, um, manageable up until about a year ago. Um, yeah. she was able to stay in the home with me and I was able to care for her, but, um, it just, it had gotten to the point last November 
where it was no longer safe to have her in the home by herself while yeah. I was at work. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because we were talking about um, uh, Karen Tatro earlier uh, before we started work recording. <clears throat> and she had, she had relayed during a reading to me of um, some spirits that were around me. And it was, it was very confusing to me because a specific spirit that she was talking about was a very heavy set, very funny, um, woman who had, Mm -hmm. had quite a, quite a big personality and, you know, she was describing my mom Mm -hmm. to a T, but my mom was still alive but she was not herself because dementia had stripped that part of her from her. So, you know, I had reached back out to her and I said, is it possible that, and we might've even covered this in, in our last episode. I I don't recall right off the bat. Um, Was it possible that um, my mom's soul that my mom's spirit had already left mm-hmm. and was was on the other side. And that's why Karen was able to so accurately describe what to me seemed to be the version of my mom that I, I most readily remember. I think it is. Um, I lost my grandmother last January from the same thing. Um and she had lived a long life. She was 94, and she had told me 10 years earlier, if I died tomorrow, I'd be happy. I had a great life. So it was more, you know, a, a release um, that she was finally free mm. from this horrible disease that, and you've been through it too, caused her to wake up every morning, freaked out. Where's my husband? Where are my children? And she was with her daughter. Now I'm your daughter. Mm. Who am I? You're this... And, um, you know, I, I had glimpses of her before she passed and dementia actually is, is, and and Alzheimer's, the brain is dying and it dies from the front backwards. So before any memory issues come, you'll find that the person has a diminished empathy for others because that's the first part that goes. And, um, you know, that, that happened to my grandmother. And if if the brain is dying, um, and I happen to believe that's kind of where the spirit is, uh, where the spirit's tethered, that's, that's, you know, kind of my opinion about it. But if the material part of us is dying and the body is a shell, then of course the spirit can leave early. Or the spirit is already so close to the other side that it can appear and let you know that it's okay. It knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all going to be okay because it's not affecting that part of them. It's just hurting the body. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I've been to nursing homes where I've picked up on spirits and, and they were just hanging around their body. You know, just not in pain, not frustrated, um, but they were there 
listening to their loved ones talk to this shell of who they used to be, but they could still hear them and they could still remember and they could still respond. It was just the voice that they had here in this world was no longer there. That the interface that we have for the material world is our body, is our brain. That interface was broken, but that doesn't mean they were unaware. I don't know. I think that brings me comfort. Um, yeah. And I and I did sense it, and I think I, I absolutely believe it's true. I was I, <clears throat> I was getting comfort until you said that you witnessed the the spirits hanging around outside their body because oh, there was they're not trapped. You know, I I'm sorry. I didn't mean to imply trapped. No, it, just that, that's not where... how I took it. It it, it became oh. very very difficult to to go see her in the environment of a nursing home and you know she recognized me she recognized her grandchildren as people that were familiar to her but she did Mm -hmm. not recognize them as who we were she did not recognize me as her son she recognized me as a friendly familiar face um but when i would tell her you know i'm your son and she's like (laughs) look at me with you know crazy eyes like what the hell are you talking about um mm-hmm. it became a very difficult thing to go to see her in that environment and it seemed right. um and again um, this is me putting an assignment on something that you know i probably shouldn't have but to me it seemed like i was causing her more um more confusion and and more anxiety by being there and making her aware of that she should know me, but she doesn't. Um, so yeah. I, I started to not go see her as often as I should have. And, mm. <clears throat> and if her spirit was actually there <clears throat> around her, well, now I feel like yeah. I, I feel like I cheated her. No, no, what you did, it's, it's important. And I, and I, I tell people who, um, you know, have relatives with that, you know, don't correct them. It upsets them. If I were talking to someone who insisted they'd known me for 20 years, it would scare me, you know? Um, but also the spirits aren't tethered to the body. I just, want folks to know that when they go see their loved one, it's not in vain. Um, their loved one's there. You don't have to correct them, but they're aware of it, but they're, they're not stuck there. You know, when you were at home and thinking of her and making coffee and, you know, maybe shedding a tear or looking at photos or something, they're aware of that too. Um, and, it's a very difficult line to walk between wanting them to know you're there and knowing that your presence is going to upset them. Um, I think honestly that all of the complexity of those situations, it's painful and complex for us compared to them. They're aware of everything. That's the part I feel guilty about is because was I doing that because it was easier for me? 
or oh no i don't believe that it it i would do the same thing i would be worried that i am agitating and if i was agitating someone by visiting them i would not visit them as often and um maybe less often and uh and that's that's normal because you want them to be comfortable while they're here and but also you know when when you're dealing with the, the spirit world you're you're not dealing with linear time so that could have been her after death <laughs> you're, they're there there's no time there's no place they could be in the same place in every time or every place at the same time um, that's why you can see Lincoln in, in Gettysburg at the White House and in his log cabin. Um, they can be all those places all at the same time. There's there's no such thing in the spirit world. Um, you're dealing with uh, a human person and the compassion that we have to have for our bodies is, is extremely important. I don't want to dismiss the body. It's an important tool for why we're here. And um, we have to remember, I, there's all these uh, near-death experiences, and, and I've been studying them since I was obsessed with them when I was younger because I had one. And when the people left their body, they thought they wouldn't care, but they did. It, you know, almost like your favorite car. You're like, oh, don't mess it up. You know, you, you have this emotion attached to it. So I don't want to diminish that. But the complexity of us feeling like we didn't do enough is is part of that grief. And I think that we have to give ourselves credit that there just seems to be no right way to handle anything like that. There is no right way to handle grief. Yeah, there certainly, there certainly are no books to uh, no, uh, instruction no. pamphlets on how to how to do. And that. if there were, I wouldn't believe <laughs> them anyway. Uh, <laughs> every situation is different, and avoiding agitation is vital. So you did the exact right thing in that situation. Um, I would do the same. I would do exactly the same. Christina, why are we here? Why are we? I'm here? sorry. Why are we here? Where did we come from? What what is our what is our purpose? What is Oh I thought <clears throat> I thought you were asking me, how the hell did we get to this discussion? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm like, God, oh you know we always better. do this, Eric. You know me better than that. <laughs> um that's a really good question. And there are so many different answers I've come up with over the years like why do we have a material body and and i've focused all my time honing my catholic response <laughs> so that's probably the best one that i can possibly give and um there are certain things that a, a an immaterial consciousness simply cannot experience so there, I'll give you bunches of theories. I don't want to tell you what I think because I'm still not entirely sure. And I have to be honest with you, I would rather be unsure. I think the most interesting people I've ever met 
are the ones who are okay sitting with contradictions and uncertainties and questions and being, I'm okay with that. Um, that's me. Yeah. And that's, that is the best way to do it. And here I'm gonna, I'm going to completely paradox this whole thing to death. I think that's the point. I think the point is to grow in a way that can't be done if you can be everywhere at any time, think anything, have any experience you want, and everything's real. I think that we're here in order to doubt, to be separated. Human beings grow with um, suffering. Not saying suffering's good, it's not. It's evil. Evil is the suffering of innocent people. That's my definition of evil. Um, but we experience our greatest growth when we have a crisis. That's a better way to say it. When we experience or encounter a crisis, that's when our consciousness, that's when everything has the opportunity to change. But what crisis could you possibly experience if you live forever and every there's no time? There is no crisis. I mean, if you can't die without death, what crisis could there possibly be without pain in the body, without difficulty, without uh, obstacles? What crisis could you possibly encounter? I think that that's part of it. I think it's the whole answer, but I think part of it is to expand who we are. Um, you think about someone before they go into the military and after they come out and think about some of the kindest people I've ever met have undergone the worst suffering imaginable. Um, I really believe it's to understand ourselves it's to enjoy the experience of being limited. Limitation increases uh, growth. Because when, unless you ever butt up against a wall, how are you going to know what you can and can't do? So I think that that's part of it, to deliberately be limited and to be in a place where we have to look to our interior strengths to overcome things. I think that's number one. I think number two is to learn greater empathy. Um, again, if you're some free-floating consciousness that never dies, never tires, never you know, loses its energy, what empathy could you possibly have for other consciousnesses? Unless you're all in a closed situation where you're butting up against each other okay, and I, you're let, learning that. Let me jump in there. Please. <clears throat> what could a unlimited consciousness that's not encumbered by body or any limitations, what empathy could they have? Is that not pretty much describing what God is, though? And why why does he have empathy for us? 
And well, when I, when I say I, God, I'm not, yeah. I'm not specifically saying, you know, the Catholic God or the Christian God or the whatever God I'm talking about our creator, whatever is responsible for our, <clears throat> our being here. Um, it, it, I mean, what you described almost describes the spirit of, of, of our mm -hmm. creator. And, you know, you know, there's, there's certain aspects of, uh, biblical texts that, that make God seem like a very, um, warmongering and, and, uh, aggressive, entity and then there's other texts that make you know he's the most warm and loving and most wonderful and envelops you in in all of the goodness <clears throat> am i making sense here yes yes and i i think we have to learn with um scripture and with everything that uh, I guess what I'm talking about, um, and I've never had to actually answer the question to someone. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I kind of know it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Eric. So I'm going to sound like a ninny. All my priests are going to quit. And what the hell are you talking about? That's pre-existence. That's heresy. So, so let me let me lean on my vocabulary here, so people understand. I'm not giving an absolute. I'm leaning on on my learning here, right. um, and my faith. It's not the only one, but this is this is where I'm at. Uh, first of all, God didn't change. Our view of God changed. Uh, just like a, a, a child would view their parents insisting on a vaccine as a cruel and unjust punishment, um, you know, we might take... Uh, an experience of God, we won this battle against people trying to oppress us and then use God to justify what we did afterwards, which was kill everybody. <laughs> so, so when you're dealing with the biblical text, you're dealing with truth rather than fact. Um, the, the text, like I might say to my kids, I've told you a million times, don't slam the door. And they could turn to me and say, mom, you told me that twice. Mm -hmm. Well, my statement is, I've told you before, stop right. <laughs> I'm reminding you again. That's the truth of my statement. So there's a progression. Uh, what we know about the universe at the age of two is different from what we know about the universe at the age of three or at the age of four or at the age of five. And in Christianity, the belief is the following, that God is a trinity, which means that God can know God's self. God can love God's self. There was no need for any of this. There was no need for a universe. There was no need for fickle little human beings. There was no need for a big bang. Everything was fine. And God said, you know what? I want children, but I want them to be children, not action figures. So they're going to be allowed to tell me no. I'm going to let them do that, and I'm going to run the risk of them telling me no, even when they die and stand face-to-face -face with me. I'm still going to let them tell me no and let them go their way, which is what we call hell. It's just a space where God isn't, and if we hate God enough when we die and say, I don't want you, they'll say, okay, well, 
there's a space that you can go until you do. So there's help. Um, but God didn't need any of this. He just decided I want children. And in forming these spirits that then inhabit bodies, by doing that, that was an actual, I've seen it. I mean, I've had three moments in my, three, there's a three again, where I've actually seen the trend. I see the movement, I the, the breath that comes out that forms each individual spirit that then is married to a body. And that process is for us to make the decision for ourselves. Are you going to grow based on the encounters you have? Are you going to overcome the limitations of your brain, which has confirmation bias and ego and disillusionment and depression? And I don't mean mental illness, depression. I mean more disappointment. Are you going to be able with this experience in this body with all its, forgive me, arthritis and, and problems. And I just tore my ACL. So I'm really focused on pain today. Oh, with all of this, are you still going to believe that there is something out there that loves you so much that that being was willing to become one of you like the parent of a child with a severe disability who just wants to be that child for one day so that they can understand how to help them. Would you still believe that you are lovable by the end of this very long, difficult life? And would you still be willing as a spirit to go back where you came from without anger and hatred at what had happened to you. For me, that's really the question. Can I overcome my anger at God for the way this world works? Can I overcome my fear of death? Because St. Paul said that fear of death is the cause of all sin. So badly, he said that Satan is the one who holds the key to the fear of death. And think about it. It's fear of death that causes us to do horrible things to people, to steal resources, to hoard money, to prevent other people from having what they need so we can have what they want. Psychological death for lying, cheating, stealing, so everybody believes who we want them to think we are. That really is the cause of a lot of suffering, fear of death, fear of ego death, fear of real death, fear of the death of of losing jobs, survival. Can we overcome all of that and at the end of it shed the part of that that kept us from knowing, that kept us in a space of doubt and and faith, that angels don't have faith, they see God. What the hell do they need faith for? We're the one that needs faith. You know, can we shed all that, turn around and say, I get it, I understand, and I I want you. That's my Catholic answer. That's a pretty good answer. 
That's a pretty good answer. I've never, I've never looked at it from the standpoint of what you said. And don't get me wrong. I, I don't spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the Bible or reading the Bible. Um, I think I've told you this before. I'm a terrible reader. I, I get into something and, you know, two seconds later I'm thinking about, did I pay this bill or did I, you know, forget to call so-and-so or (laughs) what what do I need to add to my grocery list? And then I find myself having to reread and reread and reread over and over again. Um, but I've never, I've never looked at it from the standpoint of something that loves us so much that it was willing to become us to experience the things that we have to go through. All right, guys, just because it's No Shave November doesn't mean your partner is going to give you a pass on all your personal grooming. If you're not taking care of your friends and your pants, you'll end up being the turkey this season. So, this holiday, make sure you're looking good enough to be dessert after the family hits the road by going to manscaped.com and use the code UNCOMFORTABLE22 for free shipping and 20% off your order. Try the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 for the man who deserves it all. This package has each product from the best-selling Performance Package Plus Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, and Ultra Premium Deodorant. It's the best way to smell fresh from your beak to your tail feathers. Of course, you'll receive the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, featuring the proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate giblets. Both units are waterproof, so cleanup is a breeze. All of Manscaped's shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to leave your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve any foul problems all day long. Once you treat your sack, you'll never go back. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNCOMFORTABLE22 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code UNCOMFORTABLE22, MANSCAPED, for your personal grooming needs. That that was that was, and I, I'm working on my novel, which is I, I only have a hundred hours left, and I'm done with it. But at the same time, I'm writing what I call a new theology, because the the old words that we use are from the Middle Ages, and they make no sense to anybody anymore. Right. But if I were to explain to you christianity instead of in terms of salvation and and resurrection but instead talk to you about them in terms of entanglement quantum entanglement the trinity is entangled and when god created this world jesus christ who's the word of god uh, is a, a continually entangled in god voicing expression that keeps creation in existence, just like the observing mind keeps particles and waves in one form or the other. A great observing mind in its speech, in its self-expression, keeps this creation as it should be, our brains interpreting it, you know, like the matrix and keeping everything where it's supposed to be instead of flying off into space, this expression that created the rules of a universe in such a way at the point of the big bang 
that we have what's called anthropic coincidences. That means that the rules of the universe, the weak coupling theory, the strong coupling theory, gravity, general relativity, special relativity, um, electromagnetism, the electromagnetic spectrum, some of those are so finely tuned that if they went in one direction or the other, by a number of zeros that you would have to write around the moon and back, human beings would never have achieved consciousness. We would never have been able to live. So here is this expression, this word, this being, that is what is keeping creation in existence and then entangles itself in matter and faces death. The world is is heading towards entropy. The whole universe is dying. I mean, scripture can really be overlaid onto science and make perfect sense. Whole universe is dying. And so this being comes um, into the world. We had turned our backs at God. We had sort of turned away. We divorced him and said, you know what? We don't like it this way. <laughs> so this creation, this word, Jesus Christ, the second person, the son, whatever you want to call it, created the world and then enters into the world, entangles us into him, becomes matter so that we can be entangled back into divinity, dies so that we can be entangled past death, and then goes back to God so that now God has a material body so that we are entangled and dragged back to God. That's the circuit of Catholic theology described with new language, and that's the book I'm writing right now because I think it makes more sense, especially to younger people who are sick and tired of us it using medieval words. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And then that makes the Eucharist, which we believe is the true presence. I mean, think about that. It, it's a gateway. It's a divinity in this world. We touch it. We taste it. We smell it. It goes back inside of us, just reinforcing that entanglement. It's, it's a beautiful faith. I love my faith very much. Like I said, I don't believe it's the only truth. It's the truth that makes the most sense to me, and I talk in terms of it. But I find that if I talk to a shaman, they're speaking the same language with different words. And if I talk to a Jew, they're speaking the same language with the different words. Um, if you were to go into a cathedral that had 200 stained glass windows, and each window represents a different religion, and the same light from the sun is coming through all of them. You could react by ignoring the windows. You could react by bouncing from window to window because they're all so pretty. But if you sit in front of one window for years and years and years and years, you will see how the reds change with the seasons and the times of day and how deep the blues get at 6 p.m. in Advent as opposed to 6 p.m. in July. And you will notice the hues and the nuances and the shadows in ways you could never do if you did not sit still in front of your own window. Um, and that's how I view religion. Um, it's not about bouncing around. It's the same light. The difference is this is my window. I don't have to break everybody else's. Mm -hmm. This is my window. Everybody else's is just as beautiful. The red's just as deep. But this one I know because I've sat with it for so long. 
that's a beautiful way of describing that. Yeah, that's that's a very beautiful way of describing that. You you mentioned back when we turned against God and we were angry at God and and all that. Was that a reference to like the the uh, the books before before the Bible, uh, things that have been um, omitted, um, things that aren't typically, oh. you know, like. Back in the days where apparently the Nephilim and and the Watchers and and all that uh, and and the the gross misuse of uh, um, sexuality with you know animals and and people and all that is is that a oh I was talking about what we call before the fall like Adam and Eve and before the fall but I'm gonna hold on that onto that you guys will have to read the book when it comes out because i get talking about the nephilim my dear god are people so screwed up about <laughs> and, uh, and here i said don't break windows and i'm smashing through half the world's <laughs> windows with the methylene but um well, i'm not honestly you. i'll explain i'm such a hypocrite but anyway okay. <laughs> No, I, my concern is that people um, kind of take the original um, and run with it in ways that just aren't there in the beginning. But then they claim that what they're saying is ancient because the Nephilim legend is ancient. So that's, that's what it bothers me because the, the legend of the Nephilim is Jewish and Christian mostly Jewish, but then it was carried over by the Christian church, which until 1500 is Catholic church and people take it and then they divorce it from its context and make up new stuff about it. And, and that bothers me. I mean, just like, you know, the Cleveland Indians doing a tomahawk chop is, is incredibly offensive to Native Americans. It's offensive to me when someone grabs something from a religion, runs with it, and makes up new stuff. Um, I'm like, look, you can do that. You can make up anything you want, but don't say that what you're making up goes back to the original because it doesn't. Can we, can um, we get into specifics? Yeah. Um, here's the thing with the Nephilim. And there's a Nephilim in my novel, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, the the Jewish people, now let me go back to real quick anthropology. Um, there were a succession of kingdoms in um, the area of Egypt, the Nile, Mesopotamia. And it started with the Akkadians who became the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans invented written language. So we're talking 5,000 BC to 4,000 BC. And then the Samaritans were conquered by the Babylonians who were conquered by the uh, Assyrians who were conquered by the Persians who were conquered by the Greeks and Egyptians. And so there were all these successive kingdoms and all these people traded gods. So there are references to other demons and gods in, in the Bible. Um, Lilu or Lamishtu and Pazuzu are probably two of the famous. Pazuzu was the demon that possessed Reagan in the book The Exorcist. His wife's name was Lamishtu or Lilu, who became Lilith. 
and um, what's called the Mesopotamian hell tablet, Pazuzu is whipping his wife Lilith while exorcists try to remove her from a person being possessed by her because there was no such thing as pure evil gods or pure good gods. So anyway, there were these myths moving up into Judaism who were the first to have one god. Well, as they look at evil, there was a question of, look, there are demons. (laughs) Sumerians had 5,000 demons and medical books on how to exercise all of them. Toilet demons, lurkers, desert goat demons. I mean, tons of them. And uh, this is part of my demonology course, just tons of demons. Well, the question became for the Jewish people and their surrounding area around the time of the Greek uh, occupation of Jerusalem. So we're talking about 1000 BC. And the question became, well, all right, where'd they come from? Where'd demons come from? You know, it's a, it's a good question. If we have one God, and then all these other gods are demons, and that's what each kingdom did. They made each other's favorite god a demon. So, so they're like, because <laughs> they didn't like them. So yeah. your god, Baal's a demon, but Baal was the savior god of the Hittites and a pretty good guy. But, you know, the Jewish people didn't like the Hittites, so Baal's a demon. So that's what they used to do to each other. They just demonized each other's religions. But the question became, where'd they come from? Because if God is all good, why are there evil spirits? What, why would this good God send evil spirits here? Right. There has to be an answer to that. People think religion invented evil, but the fact of the matter is evil invented religion. Um, right at the beginning, we looked around and said, why is life so hard? Why do people die? Why do the innocent suffer? And the answer became, well, there are spirits in charge of everything, which became gods. And some of them, gods could be either nasty or they could be good. You had to keep them on your good side by doing little sacrifices and rituals and stuff. And eventually when we landed on on monotheism, one god, and we decided that one god is good, we had to say, well, then why is there evil? Why would a good god do evil things? Well, during a time period very close to when Jesus came, we call it the second temple period because the Jewish people built the second temple under the Greek occupation and then Roman occupation. And a series of books were written that didn't make it into some Bibles, but into others like the Ethiopians and the Eastern Orthodox have this book while Western Catholics do not. And the book of Enoch was composed along with a book called The Apocalypse Apocalypse of Abraham. No, I'm sorry, The Ascension of Abraham and Jubilees. These three books that aren't in the Bible, and they tried to answer that question. And in Enoch, the answer to the question of where of where demons come from, the answer is that there were a group of angels who were in charge of us and taking care of human beings, they were called the Watchers, in Latin, the Gregori, and there were two chief angels among them, Azazel and Samael. 
or also called Sataniel. Azazel and Sataniel talked to their friends and said, you know what? They're kind of mad at God. And you can see this myth borrowing from the Greek Prometheus myth. They're mad at God because, you know, these people are pretty cool. We think he's keeping things from them. So Azazel came down to earth and Azazel taught us war, how to make weapons, how to fight each other. Simeon talked his other angels, friends, <laughs> into having sex with women. And in doing so, the women gave birth to what they called the Nephilim, which is Hebrew for the fallen ones. And the Nephilim were giants, and they were hideous, and they were mistreating all the people. And that's why God sent Noah's flood. We were screaming for help against the Nephilim. God sent Noah's flood, killed all the Nephilim, and their dead spirits became demons. Now, a competing theory started around the same time, which uh, gained traction with early Christians in the time of Jesus. But the New Testament talks about both. It talks about the Nephilim, and it talks about Lucifer, the seraphim, which is Hebrew for burning ones, the highest angels next to God of the nine different types of angels moving from God towards earth. And this seraphim, Lucifer, a light bearer in Hebrew and Latin, um, said to God, um, I'm not going to serve you. I don't want to do this anymore. Demonstrating there's free will in heaven so we can get to heaven and tell God pound off. Uh, Lucifer said, I'm not going to be with you anymore. God said, well, if you don't want to be with me, go. In fact, if you don't want to be with me, I'll create this space for you to go, and it'll be called Hades or hell. And Lucifer took a third of the other angels and left. And the story is that Michael, whose name is Hebrew for who is like God, and was only an archangel, the second lowest, fought against Lucifer and kicked him out, and they went to hell. And that's where demons came from. And so these were two competing theories of what demons were. Right. And so people who talk about, well, Nephilim roam the earth and they do this and their armies, it's kind of like, you understand you're talking about demons. It's one theory. And when Christianity started, both theories were believed by different people. And up until the year 600, these Christian Catholic um, theologians argued about which was true. And eventually, the theory about Lucifer won out. So but the Nephilim theory just kind of stayed in the background. Was that an accurate thing that happened? I happen to believe, uh, I'm going to give away too much from this novel because it's all in there. I happen to believe that it can all be true. Because why why couldn't both why couldn't there be more than one fall from heaven? Oh. That's my opinion. Interesting. But I'm I'm speaking from literature. I'm not gonna, you know, tell everybody what I think. Right. Because <laughs> I'll get myself in trouble. But honestly, <laughs> I I honestly think it can it can all be true. Why couldn't it? 
Why can't there be different types of demons? But when I talked about the fact that people run around and say, you know, oh, he's possessed by a Nephilim. I'm like, all right, then that's a demon. No, they're different. No, they were supposed to be the same thing. Um, so, you know, it, the Nephilim were the human counterparts to the evil spirits that existed after they were all killed in the flood. So people don't know that story. Um, they kind of just grab the fact that Nephilims were giants and run with it. But, you know, you're removing it from the Jewish people who composed that book based on their experience and not understanding that it was one theory um, and kind of running with it. And that's where I take exception because I, I think it's always a bad thing to grab a little piece of a religion and then make up new stuff about it. Mm. You kind of have to put it in the context of what those people believe it is and where it came from. That's interesting. Is are <clears throat> are those former Nephilim who are now demonic? That's a theory. Are they... they are literally where demons came from. <clears throat> or evil spirits, because those are different from demons. Can you specify, can you be a little more specific with that? Um, in Judaism and Christianity, there are evil spirits, which were former living people or beings because the Nephilim were half human, half angel, and they died. Mm. Um, so they were, you know, former living beings rather than fallen angels. And so evil spirits are completely different from demons. Um, like a Dybbuk is not a Jewish demon. A demon is a Jewish demon. <laughs> a Dybbuk <laughs> is the opposite of an Ibbuk. And the Jewish people believe that a spirit can possess a living person, attach itself to it. And an Ibbuk is a righteous spirit that attaches themselves to a person in a double incarnation, so with the existing soul, what we would call possession, help them and then leave. A dibic is a mischievous or evil spirit of a human who once lived, who possesses and refuses to leave. It's not a demon. That that's an interesting thing, and I have to <clears throat> I have to ask you a question based on that. So a, a recent interview of mine, um, very, very nice lady, very kind, uh, seemed very intelligent about the things that she spoke of, um, claims that uh, when she was born, her, her body was born to be a vessel for an archangel, I believe the mm. name was... Ariel, mm -hmm. who is, um, try to make sure I get the, the account right, um, who had very little empathy for humans and by order of God was sentenced to uh, be tethered 
to humans until they until she developed an empathy for humans and this woman states that this is like Ariel's last time around so is it <clears throat> is it possible that a a human and angel can be entangled in the same body for the purpose of dispatching demons? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so firm, but absolutely not. You'd have to understand what an angel is. And an angel isn't the name of a creature. It's the name of an office. It's the name of their job. Um, angelos means being sent. So demons are angels that no longer work for God. Um, an angel without empathy for humans is a demon. You can't have that middle ground. God isn't going to take an angel who doesn't listen to him and say, okay, well, now I'm going to put you in a human body because first the human body would explode. We're talking about creatures infinitely more dense in energy, more powerful, created well before we ever existed. You cannot cram one in a human body. It's not possible. It's just not. Um, it would be like putting a, a supernova in a can. You can't do it. Um, she might be possessed by something else. Um, but not an angel. And, and, and I've heard of that before. There was this book written in the 80s called Earth Angel. Understand that before that book was written, this idea of angels, of human beings being angels, that their soul is an angel, mm -hmm. didn't exist anywhere in any history book. <clears throat> All right. So when you deal with it, it didn't exist until this book was written. And now everybody kind of believes it um when when i when i'm giving answers about these books and everything these are not my theories demonology and angelology is an actual academic study you could get a phd from notre dame in this and the books i have are actual academic books some of them written as early as the the 800s so i'm not reading the new age books, the type of things that have been written since the New Age began in the early 70s. Um, a lot of this comes out of books that are, for example, nobody had ever heard of a Nephilim until the X-Files episode in the 90s. The word was not part of the popular consciousness. In 1994, the X-Files did an episode on a Nephilim, and all of a sudden I, I started hearing it everywhere when the people who were kids at that time grew up and, and I can trace it show. to that moment. I love yeah, that I know it was my favorite, <laughs> but you know, people are like, Oh, it's a Nephilim this or Nephilim that. And I'm like, guys, it, it goes back to, to about 200 BC and a little after um, around the time of Christ. And no, that's not what it says. I mean, you, you, you can believe these things, but you got to keep them in context. And so all this new stuff is written. People will read, you know, a little bit of the Bible and they'll run off with it and create these new ideas. There was a book called 
the last angel book you will ever need to read. And that's not the actual title, but it was very similar. And I, I don't want to make this woman feel stupid. Um, <laughs> but she listed a here. This is why I say that the angel Yahweh appeared to to Moses as a burning bush. Yahweh is God's name in Hebrew. That, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> How? And and in it, she's prescribing tea in archangel possession. The other thing is people think archangels are powerful. They're not. They're second to last on the list. I mean, they are second to last. And everybody's kind of obsessed with archangels. And I'm like, frankly, I would rather be guarded by my thrones than an archangel. By, um, what? by what? Thrones. They're higher up. They're seraphim, cherubim, thrones, virtues, powers, principalities. Um, oh, my God. Oh, they're going to beat my butt. I'm missing one. And then um, it's principalities, archangels, and angels. Who am I missing? Dominions. Dominions. So it's seraphim, cherubim, uh, thrones, uh Dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. Okay. That's and, the hierarchy and, from God to human. And they're all angelic? Yes. <clears throat> what is an angel? What what are they um, what are they composed of? That's a good question. Because I've read some really interesting um science theology books that say they're photons and um but actually, um, my definition for it, based on, on all my reading uh, going back to Samaria, is they're, they're reflections of divinity. So if you imagine God is a light and that there are nine levels of mirrors, the light hits the first mirror, which bounces it to the second which bounces it to the third. And that's how orders from God are supposed to proceed through the angelic coast. But you imagine these angels bouncing the divine essence. That's what they are. They are not, they're creatures, so they have free will, but they are so much a part of the reflection of God that it, it's, it's almost offensive to an angel to say, well, God needed to teach you a lesson. No, you would be gone because you are either totally in line with the divine essence that forms you or you aren't. They don't have material bodies that mess them up like we do. Um, you're anthropomorphizing them when you say things like that. You're making them human. They're not human. Not at all. Every time an angel appears in the Bible, three words, the first three words it says, and I mean every time, are don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> His first words is this terrifying, massive creature. Um, so, you know, we have, to, we have to remember that. It kind of takes away their dignity to say they possess a human. Of course, they'll help you. You know, but that they needed to be a human soul, they can't. Those are two completely different animals. A giraffe can't be an elephant. Okay. So, you know, and I, I may have the words wrong. Uh, I, like I said, I don't read the Bible. Uh, I probably should. 
Um, but we're created in God's image, correct? Yes, but not physically. Doesn't uh, mean physical. Okay. All right. So, you know, with what the angels say immediately upon showing themselves, don't be afraid. <laughs> Chill mm-hmm. out. It's okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> are they are they a reflection of of what God would look like as well? The the. I know I'm asking yes, you a question. Because you they're don't know the answer no, to. But. No, because there's there's all these scripture references in which the angel starts to speak and it immediately switches to the first person. So they're bringing a message from God and they'll say, God wants you to know that I want you to continue with what you're doing for I am with you. I am the Lord, your God. And then the angel departed. They are so much in union that they speak only what God tells them to speak. This is the, this is the dogma. You can disagree with me if you want. Are they a, um, are they a direct extension of God? Like in, in, they, its, in, in the most physical sense? Yes. If I'm, if I'm talking about um, actual, what they would look like to our eyes, um, they can take any form. They can even pretend to be human. So, um, they can form into human form just like Lucifer can. The only difference is Lucifer always gets something wrong. So it'll be off. He'll have a, a hoof or something. In the Middle Ages, he used to be painted with a face on his rear end <laughs> to just, just to show that just how perverse he was. But when when we're in the image of God, that means that we interact with the world in a way that gives inanimate objects, moral power. And what that means is that we are co-creators in this world. Angels are not. They cannot co-create this world. They can only enter it on demand. So where I grab a knife and I go. By demand of God? Yes. So if we, because you hear of people that, you know, call upon angels to help right? Yes. So is, is your message actually going to God and then God determines, Hey, you guys need to go take care of this. Go ahead and go down there and see what's going on. Yes. That's what's so amazing is that these creatures who are so much more excellent than we are and contain so much more of the love and divine essence of God are at our service. They are at our beck and call. That's how important we are. How did, how was there that separation then with, with, of, with Lucifer and the, and the third, how, if, how did um, they, how did they get so twisted up as to, well, there's lots of theories. Um, understand that the church just says that he left and took some with him and that we know at least, uh, Lucifer's in hell. I mean, it doesn't actually make a statement. Um, so everything we're talking about even with what I'm offering or theories, I don't know. Um, these are theories that have been come up with, with by theologians for the past 5,000 years. I just happened to read all that writing. Um, but that separation, one theory is that it was pride that Lucifer just did not want to obey. Um, but what the Christian theologians said 
and I always found this theory fascinating, was that uh, we we left God. So I'm sorry, the first theory right about the 6th and 7th centuries in the Middle Ages was that Lucifer was angry because they were God's first creatures and they were perfect. And then he created us and gave us all the attention. And Lucifer was furious because we were not worth the attention. We did not love him back like the angels did. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer told God to kill us and get rid of us. And God said, no. And Lucifer said, then I leave. So, you know, I always, my line is always, um, all the, the devil ever wanted was for God to admit the devil was right about us. And this is even in Revelation where Lucifer attacks us and Michael walks in and says, guess what? The cross, it's over. Um, Satan means in Hebrew accuser. He is our accuser before the throne of God. He accuses us of being horrible. So that's what the first theory of why he left. Christian theologians took this over and said that it was because not just that, but then God said, I'm going to become one of them. And Lucifer said, I will not bow down before a human being. And that's why he left. So those are the two theories. So theories, but in any works of, in any literary works that are purportedly to be the word of God, there is no actual explanation that is widely held as being the absolute truth of of why there was that separation. The first one. The first one. Um, there are several pieces of what we call uh, pseudepigrapha, I know people use apocrypha. That's not really the term. Um, that's different from pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha is works that were attributed to great biblical figures. So Moses, Abraham, um, Enoch. Um, and there were very early ones in the Christian church written in the first couple centuries um, that took the first position. Because the first position is a very Jewish position. And this was their religion. Um, I mean, Christianity is Judaism frozen in time and cosmologized. So you go to Catholic church, you're going to a Passover. It's half temple service, half Passover. It's stayed there. Judaism has continued to evolve, but Christianity is Judaism frozen in time in 33 AD. So, um, because it believed it had achieved its its purpose and that the Messiah came. So, um, you know, there are works. There's um, the Apocalypse of Paul. Um, I believe Jubilees mentions Lucifer because the Jews equated uh, Samael from Enoch with Lucifer, Centennial. And all references to Satan in the New Testament are Jewish references because the New Testament's a Jewish book. So uh, Jesus says, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from the sky. The book of Revelation written about 90 AD by the apostle John says that 
the accuser of our brothers has been cast out and his place is found in heaven no more. And the dragon swept his tail and knocked a third of the stars from the sky. And woe to you on earth, for he is coming and he is enraged. And that discusses the fall, that's Revelation 12, and St. Michael and the battle. So um, I would have to... I would have to dig through my pseudepigrapha, but I've seen it. It's there. Um, and it's in the New Testament. But so are the watchers in the Nephilim. Yeah. St. <laughs> Paul says that women have to cover their heads in church because of the jealousy of the angels and what that caused. And then in Leviticus, Leviticus is one of the first five books of the Bible. So it's part of the Jewish Torah. Leviticus is the list of all of the Jewish laws, all 636. And in it, on the Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, the temple priest is to take a goat, write the name Azazel on it, whisper in its ear the sins of the people, and then set it off into the wilderness. That is where we get the term scapegoat. <laughs> and that goat was for Azazel, who is a watcher. Yeah. So it's in there. It's in there. Are are angels capable of reproduction? Well, that's a question of the hour, isn't it? Um, with each other? No. Uh, with us? Well, according to Enoch, yes. And was, now, and was that a physical act or was that a, um, a, a, a paranormal occurrence? Is that something well, that the, happened because of, uh, you know, you know what I'm getting it, at? The word used means intercourse. <clears throat> yeah. But, of course, it, it also implies rape, uh, which would be a problem for angels, which would explain why they were kicked out. Um and, and, you know, I, I'm talking about all of this in terms of that these, these are what you would call myths. They're, they're religious myths. Mm-hmm. I happen to be on the side that um, there's a kernel of truth in every myth. Right. Um, so I'm taking the position that everything is absolutely true. Understand that for someone in the academic field, and I have a master's in theological studies, and I, I am a professor, plus 18 credits toward my doctorate, and I am a professor of theology and demonology. I mean, what I'm telling you comes from actual books written for thousands of years. Um, they would laugh me off a stage for saying that any of it was true. It's all nonsense. Um, so... I, I'm saying these things, and I, I want your listeners to, to know what's out there. But also bear in mind that, you know, I'm giving you the facts of what books say and theologians say. You have to draw your own conclusions from that. Um, I don't want you to think that, you know, Bishop Brake said that Nephilim are real and angels can have sex with people. Well, that's what's in the books and that's what's in the religious books and the religious myths and the stories throughout history. Do I believe it? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that someone else in my position would. There are a lot of even Roman Catholic priests who don't believe in the devil or demons. Um, So, 
you know, it, it just, just bear that in mind. I'm not telling you that everything I said was nonsense. I'm just telling you, you have to draw your own conclusions about uh, what all these things say. And if you want to take my demonology class and get this 40 page bibliography of actual academic books and Egyptian magical papyri and Greek magical papyri and Babylonian demons and stuff, you can do that by going to the oldcatholicstore.com because it's still up and you can still take it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what it says that they raped women. It, is there truth to the lifespan of, of people pre-flood being in the seven, eight, 900 year? Um, I, uh, personally, my, I'm of the opinion that that's Jewish numerology. Um, the numbers are significant and we have to remember that the solar year isn't even currently the Jewish year. Um, so, you know, I'm, they kept years based on the reigns of different Kings. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it, there was a, a television show dinosaurs, in the late 80s and it was funny because the one of them always asked everybody why are we counting backwards why are the years going backwards what are we counting to is that the one um, with the, the little one that said not the baby yes yeah yes not the not the mama not, not the, the mama. mama yeah and um you know so you know remember they did they didn't have the calendar we have they didn't have a solar year maybe it was 790 years um but no it's it's not 790 365 days um there are certain numbers in the bible that mean very specific things and certain configurations and i think that those ages are more significant for numerology than actual solar years you're familiar with the book of enoch i'm i'm sure yes do you view that as a almost a uh um a love letter to the fallen angels. <laughs> no, actually it's pretty harsh. It's incredibly harsh. Um, and against the, the angels, I mean, they are called every name in the book. They're called every name in the book. There's even a part of the, um, book of Enoch called by academics, the animal apocalypse. And it's really, it's cute. It's like, you know, two chapters, and it answers the question that you could just imagine young Jewish kids asking, how did the snake talk in the garden? Well, the answer in the animal apocalypse is that all the animals talked in the garden. They lost their power of speech when Adam and Eve fell. <laughs> so there's, there's all these other things in Enoch other than that section. A great deal of it retells the story of Abraham in greater detail. So I, I think that um, people, you know, misunderstand Enoch. It's a huge book, and there's a lot in it. It's retelling the Old Testament with additional details that aren't in the Old Testament books as we know them. Why do you, why do you think the book of Enoch has become so um, part of pop culture now as far as, like, people that talk about these things that we're talking about? It, it's religion, organized religion 
has lost all its power and allure because its leaders have done horrible things and lost the public trust. But you cannot, as a human being, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings who have spiritual experiences. St. Anselm said that. And we long for greater truths. So, you know, Religion began losing its power right around the time of Darwin and the scientific revolution as it fought against that, looking dumber and dumber as things went. Um, And, you know, initially in the 40s, 50s and 60s, it was UFOs. And if you study the history of that movement, um, now UFOs have become all spiritual and wonderful and good things in the 80s abduction stories were not spiritual and happy right um that's a new part of the movement and then the very beginning of the ufo movement i mean the whole the whole religion of ufology began in the desert Mm -hmm. i have all these academic articles by psychologists comparing it to a new religion Um, And it has done exactly what every religion has done. It began with uh, a number of gods and enemies, and then it congealed into a terrifying God who is visiting us, just like the Old Testament. And now it's a loving God who is visiting us and guiding us and wants a spiritual awakening. It has in. 80 years, it has followed the lifespan of any religion. Um, People are searching for meaning outside of previous organized churches. And they want to know that they fit into a greater scheme of life. We are religious engines. We are built for spiritual knowledge It is part of the longing inside of us. We know something is missing. We know this world is broken. And we can either look for a greater truth beyond ourselves. We can ignore those feelings. Or we can become political activists. This is literally part of psychological theory and religious um, psychology. That that's how people engage with suffering. And I think a vast majority of people, they want religion. Um, People will, I I hate the phrase spiritual but religious, and and let me explain why. Because spiritual but religious people believe all these things, like the Nephilim and angels and archangels and God and spirits and demons. But where did they get that information from? Religion. So, you know, so I'm like, don't, don't dismiss religion. Religion is the shared experience of a group of people over thousands of years, great minds applying themselves to questions, communities encountering situations and growing in their knowledge, that same window. But people are kind of making their own religion up. And in our limited 80 years, how could we come to any conclusion about truth? There's just not enough time. So a lot of these new beliefs stem from things like that X-Files episode. I knew what a Nephilim was when that came out. I was in my 20s. And I'm like, oh, they did a Nephilim episode. My God, I have not heard that word spoken publicly. And then, bam, 
and nobody can trace it back to that because we're now 30 years away from that. They don't know where it came from. You know, so I think these things are a very good and healthy search for the other side, for life after death, for meaning. Um, you just have to be careful that you know the origin of where these new beliefs came and that you understand that they were, some of them were just made up by a single individual who had no more knowledge or power than you do. Um, so don't, don't give your knowledge and power away like that. Investigate. You know, and you know what? If someone believes that they're an archangel and that gives their life meaning and gets them through suffering, then more power to them. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, going through my learning experience and all the texts I read, I don't agree. I don't think that's possible just based on what angels are. But if it helps her, I would not face this person and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you hurting anybody? Is it making your life better? Are you a kinder person? Are you a nicer person? It's not like you're going to die and God's going to say, you were wrong, get out. <laughs> I don't believe that. Yeah. But, so, Let me jump back real quick. This is the last thing. Sure. We're going we're gonna to end at two hours because I think less is more, uh, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous to say after two hours, but um, – your willingness to come on, uh, I think you said for what another fifteen episodes. Um, yeah, we'll, you could quote me. We will, we will save, <laughs> we will save some more uh, for the next time. But going back to the the UFO and stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know that that whole, uh, I would assume that UFOs, if inhabited by extraterrestrials that they would be a creation of the same God that we are. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they're showing up on this planet, um, whether it be by puddle jumping from one galaxy to another in their, in their little craft or whether they're, um, traversing vast spaces by wormholes or portals or whatever. Um, you know, their appearance here is is pretty... Th- there are too many... There are too many accounts to discredit. Oh, God. Just the videos. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. They're, they're there. So are are they, are they demonic? Are they, are they like us in not so much in how they look or how they behave or, but I mean, are they like us in a, uh, as far as being an entity that, or a, um, a, a physical form that was created by the same God and for and what is what would you think God's purpose is in having them interact with us? Um, okay, three things. First, um, I believe in evolution. That that there's a process. 
uh, and got as a process for us developing. So the same forces that led to our eventual development, such that a soul could enter the human body, um, would be the same on another planet or scientifically explainable by the same laws. So that's a that that they were created by a God who created the universe with laws in such a way that life could emerge. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, that's where I'm at with, yeah, science is, is very important <laughs> to me. So, yeah. Um, so that's a, um, B, um, well, actually I'm going to answer your third question. The purpose thing we have to remember is that, Yes, God has a plan, but there's this great line by the main character of my book, um, or actually two of the archangels are talking to each other, and they're like, he said, no, that wasn't part of the plan. And the other one says, you know what, I've lived long enough to know that if one of their decisions is a part of the plan, it soon will be. So we are co-creators and our decisions change things just like theirs do. (laughs) So God may have an ultimate plan, but God is not a puppeteer. So their coming to us will become part of a plan, but I don't believe in an absolute fate. So the interaction will probably will eventually benefit us somehow. But third, and maybe I'll share this for your other show. (laughs) I have this argument with my husband all the time. I don't believe they're extraterrestrial. I believe they're interdimensional. Mm -hmm. And scientists have already discovered, I think they're up to 400 and something dimensions. And that's excluding parallel universe theory, if you believe that. So Mm -hmm. I'm of the opinion that they're from somewhere else. But the way they've behaved, and if you go back to Jacques Vallée's books in mm-hmm. the 70s and sure. 80s and 90s and stuff, they don't behave like they obey any law of this universe. Right. So that's I'll leave that question up there. And why do they give off the same EMF that visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary, ghosts, Bigfoot? Why are they giving off the same electron signature and the same EMF and so I'll leave that theory for next time. <laughs> that that's a, that's a wonderful way to end. I have not spent my time in a normal way. I really, <laughs> I someone should medicate me and stick and, me someplace. And and th- really. Thank thank God you haven't. <laughs> well, there were there were a number of other things that I, I had intended on uh, asking you about today. But I think that this is a great place to to wind this one up. It's straight up two hours, um, and we covered a lot of things that I had I had a lot of questions about, and um, more so from a, a selfish standpoint, but yet things that I have been uh, requested to to cover with you in a, in another episode. So um, I think I think. There's two hours of food for thought for a lot of people here. And uh, I, for one, want to thank you for taking the time and uh, 
I love you. You're, you're just, you're, yeah, I love talking to you. Um, you know, we talked for almost an hour before we started recording. We're at three hours on the, on the phone call and, uh, I could go another three and not even bat an eyelash. It's, uh, it's wonderful talking with you and you have such conviction and so much academia behind you and the things that you say that, uh, I hold, I hold what you say in, in very high regard. Well, thank you. And I, I hope everybody, um, I hope this helped and, um, please know, yeah, I have a lot of conviction in what I say, but I have no judgment for anybody else's position. I'm speaking from my own and offering my own arguments, um, in the end, what matters is, is the love you had. That's all that matters. Um, and, and please focus on that. Uh, be good to each other. And, and something that I say quite often is it, it is so, I don't know if I want to use the word empowering, but I guess, you know, for myself it is because I am able to see things after having talked to you or, you know, any number of, of different people that I've had on the show, hearing their experiences, hearing their perspectives, not necessarily that it changes mine because I've had that conversation, but being open enough to be able to now look through that perspective as well as my own and have a much wider view of the things that we talk about, I think is immensely helpful especially when you're talking about the types of things that we talk about on this show. And I realize, you know, today's episode was very, um, very spiritual, very biblical, very, uh, very much about, uh, about God. Um, but I think it, I think it transfers from whatever topic. And, and I, for one, am grateful that I get to have these conversations because it has widened my perspective and my ability to see things through many different viewpoints. And I think it's helped me. Yeah, it's because you, you're, you're not a judgmental person. You can take away from it. And uh, that's important for me to acknowledge for you, too. Um, I love that, you. It, You're amazing. Isn't that the way it should be? Shouldn't we be able to <laughs> it have, should be. have differing opinions and be able to walk away from each other, still being friendly, still being respected of each other and, and just simply not see things the same way. Uh, it doesn't seem like it, it's possible to do that nowadays uh, very often. Well, we'll make that our mission. <laughs> Disagree and have a beer. That'll be our motto. I love it. <laughs> All right, dear. Let's uh, let's finish up by give everybody the information about how to help your orphanage again over in Kenya. Oh, thank you. Um, if you go to the church website, AmericanOldCatholic.org, uh, there is a donate button on the first page, and under our orphanage and um, Africa, you'll find more information about the kids. Um, and then you could purchase um, items at my store for investigation, and that money goes to them as well. And that's um, oldcatholicstore.com. And then if you'd like a reading with me, um, you can email me at bishop 
rake, R-A-K-E, at gmail.com, and I'll send you that information. Um, and then Instagram accounts and Twitter and, and all of that, that big tree, um, I'll send you in my email um, because I've just restarted all of those. I was lazy. I didn't get to them, <laughs> but I've got them going now. So uh, stay tuned. Well, I can say from the standpoint of somebody who has had the benefit of of your gifts um, to some extent, not in an official capacity as far as uh, a reading, um, the, the number of things that you touched on that were uh, extremely accurate and anybody interested, Christina is the real deal. Uh, I don't believe that you will be disappointed at all. And, uh, you know, helping out some starving children and getting the benefit of her insights, I don't know that there's anything you could do for yourself that would be uh, more more gratifying than, than spending some time with her. So thank you. Please, if you have the ability to reach out to her, help out her orphanage and, uh, and get yourself some eye-opening insights into things that she probably shouldn't know about you, (laughs) (laughs) but does. It's confidential. (laughs) Christina, as always, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Um, I hope, I hope that this helps with your, your cause. I know my listeners are going to be absolutely thrilled to hear from you again. And, uh, I will bug you again to, uh, to revisit all these things that we have not talked about. So. Oh, thank you, Eric. I, it would be my pleasure. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Thank you.